Amen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. Sin is broken. What does that mean, Lord? We, oh, we just don't understand. We don't get it. There's so much uh, of your mystery that we don't understand. What you've done in our lives, God, is beyond our comprehension. You've broken sin. You've made us righteous because of your death and because of your resurrection. And so we stand here before you as holy and righteous people. You've broken the chains that bound us and set us free, Jesus. And we praise you forever in your name. Amen. Well, we are on week five of our series on prayer titled Restore Us Again. And we are looking at prayer and trying to come at it with fresh eyes, uh, spend some time really looking at what prayer is and how we engage in it. So I know with it being uh, August and kind of this almost summer start of school time, people have been traveling and have been in and out quite a bit. And so if you have missed one of those messages, I want to encourage you to go to our website and listen to those and, and kind of get caught up on this series because it has been a powerful time for us to be together, a powerful time for us to, to be uh, focusing on God and, and how we engage with Him and how we relate to Him. So if you missed one of those, please uh, check back in on that and, and kind of get caught up on that. Uh, we are in 40 days of prayer, and uh, we have about 10 days left, and so we'll be done uh, next Thursday will be the official last day of those 40 days. And so hopefully you are engaged in that prayer process. If you're not, uh, go ahead and jump in. You can do 10 days of prayer. We would love to have you participate in that as well. Now, we are praying for uh, the big issues in our lives. We're praying for three of our friends that we want to come to know Jesus, and we are praying for the city of Albuquerque and, and our community and, and the city that God has planted us in. And so I want to encourage you to be prayerful through this next week uh, as, we, as we look at those things. I want you to imagine a, a, a few scenarios here with me for just a moment. Some of them may be familiar to you. Some of them uh, may be uh, confusing to you. Uh, but let's think about this one scenario. You are in a restaurant or you're in a cafe of some sort, and you hear a song come on, and it's a song that you like, but you don't know who sings that song. And so what do you do when you hear that song? Shazam, very good. Some of you are like, huh? And some of you are, yes, you, you use an app on your phone, and you, you, you stick your phone up awkwardly like this, and that app listens to the song, and then it tells you who, has, who does that song. And then if you really like it, you just click on it and download it, and you add that song to your music library. Um, so how many of you know what a record is? All right, so, so we'll get more relevant now. All right, so there used to be a day, there used to be a day where you had to go to a store and get a record, and that's how you listened to music, but now you just have one click, and you can listen to that song instantly, and you can, you can add it to your library. You don't even have to get the entire album. You can just get that one song that you really like, because that's usually just one song on there that's good anyway. All right, so... Or another scenario, think about this, you are listening to an incredible sermon by your favorite preacher, and, and this preacher recommends a book, and now you, what do you do? You, you take out your tablet, and, and you're on that instead of listening, and, and you click through, and you go to Amazon or whatever your bookstore is, and you just download it, and you start reading that book, and you stop listening to the sermon. 
but you have that book instantly, right? You don't have to go to the bookstore and hope that it's in stock and, and hope that you can get it and maybe order it and get it five days later or ten days later whenever their next shipment arrives. You have that book instantly. You can start reading it. You have a, a whole movie library on Netflix where you can, you can just choose the movie and watch it instantly. Back in my day, you had to go to a place called Blockbuster, right? You had to go to a place that had DVDs. You had to go get, the, or even VHSs, yeah. Yeah, that, that was my day too, yeah. So, so VHSs are these square plastic things. So, so anyway, you can, you can watch a video, you can binge on an entire season, like all day, all week long, and just watch all 28 episodes of something, right? And you don't have to wait for the next thing. And like the worst thing is the little loading circle, right? Loading, loading, loading. You're like, no, it can't come fast enough, right? I want this video now. Never mind that it wasn't that long ago that you actually had to go find that video in stock somewhere and go home and put it in your player and hope the person before you rewound it and all that kind of stuff. So, so we live in this place where it's, it's immediate, it's instant. We want instant gratification. If it doesn't happen now, it's not happening fast enough. I shouldn't have to wait for a book. I shouldn't have to wait for that song. I shouldn't have to wait for that movie. I should be able to get it right now. And if Wi-Fi isn't working, oh my. But this is the kind of culture that we live in, right? Where we say yes, we want it now. And it's in these moments, especially in the moments of no Wi-Fi, <laughs> where it becomes incredibly revealing to us how we have been rewired as people right? We have been completely rewired into a wireless age where we are constantly connected and have that immediate access to what we want. And we realize that these advances in technology really serve us well, but they reshape who we are. They reshape how we approach the world. They reshape the way we approach one another. And even worse, they reshape the way we approach God. And so we're in this series talking about how do we approach God? How do we come to God in prayer? And in a culture where things are immediate, where it's sound bites and it's, it's downloaded and you can get it whenever you want, prayer is not fast enough, right? We want something quick. If there's not an answer to prayer today, if there's not an answer to prayer this hour, then it must not be working. The little load thing isn't fast enough. And we say, God, you don't answer prayers because it's not immediate. And so our culture shapes us. It changes us. It, it changes the way we interact with God. And so as we look at growing in our prayer lives, we have to look at what the culture is doing around us and how we resist that culture. How do we put disciplines into our lives that push against what culture is saying so that we can interact and engage with God in a way that's life-giving? John Piper says this, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. Apple pie, yes. <laughs> I prefer peach pie, but apple pie. It is not the best. <laughs> I love you, Cameron. All right. <laughs> oh, man. 
See, it is the greatest enemy. It's not the banquet. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. All right, so let me read the whole thing again. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. And so the the world gives us this feast of stuff. And, And it's not the bad stuff that gets in the way of us interacting with God. Yes, sin does separate us from God, but those are the obvious things, right? It's that banquet of good things that we just nibble away at, that distracts us from having a hunger and a desire for God. We are a very satisfied people. Well, we're a very dissatisfied people with lots of things that we're trying to satisfy us with. There's lots to feed us, lots to give us. And as we talked about last, year, last week, all of that is in the physical realm. Feed ourselves physically. Distract ourselves physically so that we're not aware of the spiritual realm that's around us. We won't engage with God if we don't realize that there's a spiritual realm around us. And so we nibble away at things that are in and of themselves not a bad thing, but it dulls our appetite for God. And so long before there was a problem with social media, long before there was a problem with cell phones, long before there was Netflix, long before all of that, Christians have recognized the need for disciplines in our lives that say no. That there is a need for us to be able to look at something and say no. It's an act of resistance to yes. It's a resistance to self. Learning what the psalmist calls waiting upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord we, we prayed in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need. You provide for us. You sustain us. And so there is a practice that has its roots all the way back into the life of Israel long before Jesus. It existed in the life of Jesus, and it's existed throughout church history for the last 2,000 years. And it's this practice of fasting. The act of of saying no. The practice of fasting is intentionally abstaining from foods. You're abstaining from foods for a determined period of time to cultivate a hunger for God. You're saying, no, I'm not going to nibble on the apple pie, literally. And I am going to take and eat the bread of life. I'm going to take and eat what God has given us. And it creates an awareness of his presence. It creates an awareness of our misplaced priorities. It it creates an awareness of our reliance on self instead of our reliance on God. It helps us to find satisfaction in God and not satisfaction in the world around us. And so as we look at a biblical understanding of fasting, it really is abstaining from food. That that is quite literally what a fast is. Um, But there are powerful disciplines that we can have in our own lives in in abstaining from other things that, that we're nibbling on, right? Things like technology, television, things that that get in the way of us 
really depending on God. It could be a season of not spending money. It could be a season of, of not being on technology. It could be a season of putting the, the phone away or putting the TV away. These are all exercises that, that help us to get, get off of the self-centered things and onto the spiritual things, onto a focus of God. But as we talk about fasting itself, we're, we're talking about this idea of giving up food. And as we think about fasting, fasting is really a physical expression of repentance. It's an opportunity for us to say no to self and yes to God. In a world that's constantly saying yes to self, for us to, to go through a fast, for us to be giving up food for the sake of, of coming and spending time with God, we are repenting of a life that is too dependent on yes to self. We're saying no to food and, and yes to God, and, and, and that very act is, is repentance for when we get those things wrong. When our lives are out of balance, when our focus is off, by us intentionally saying no, we're repenting. And so as we look throughout Scripture at when fasts occur, they're often connected with prayer. That's why it's in this series of prayer. And we see individuals and groups who fast at very crucial times, at crucial moments in the life of their body, in, their, in the life of, of their relationships, in, in the life of what God is calling them to. Moses fasted for 40 days at Sinai. In Exodus chapter 24, Hannah fasted when facing her, child, her childlessness in 1 Samuel. Israel's army fasted to prepare for battle in 1 Samuel. Nehemiah fasted over, over the brokenness of Israel. Esther called for a fast whenever she faced the plot to, to execute her people. Jesus fasted in preparation for his ministry. We talked about that last week. And his disciples continued to fast often on their own throughout their ministry in Acts chapter 13 and 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And so we see throughout Scripture this place where fasting comes in in this major turning point. So, so in these major moments where, where change had to happen, that, that life could not continue the way it was going. God was calling them into something very different. Something was very broken, something needed to be fixed, and it was in those moments that they fasted, in those moments where they came to God in prayer and fasting. And so fasting allows us to, to put a pause on our normal rhythms of life. We eat, some of us, most of us eat pretty regularly. We have certain meals throughout the day at certain times, and if we get off of those times, we get grumpy. And so we have these regular rhythms of what our day looks like. This is what my breakfast looks like. This is what my lunch looks like. This is what my afternoon snack looks like. And this is what my dinner looks like and my, my evening snack and, and my nibbling at bedtime and things like that. Right. So th this is what our rhythm looks like. And fasting puts a pause to that and says, we're going to stop. We're not saying yes to self anymore. We're not going to be in this rut of self-centeredness. And we're reminded in those moments of, of no. We're saying no. And in those moments of no, we pray. And we remember the spiritual realm in which we exist. The one that we're called into by God. We're dependent on God. We're, we're dependent on his provision. We're dependent on him both physically and spiritually. 
And we're not the independent selves that we like to think we are. And so a call to fasting is a call for us to, to wake up out of the rut that we're in, to wake up in, from, the, from the physical centered place that we are and engage with God in the spiritual. We return our attention to God. The prophet Joel says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. God doesn't want us to fast just to inflict some sort of pain on ourselves. It's not something where we're just going through this miserable thing just to show how spiritual we are. He calls us into fasting for repentance, for our self-dependency, for the things where we rely on ourselves too much instead of relying on Him. He wants us to fast in response to a repentant heart, a heart that wants to change. Joel's words call us to repentance that's rooted in our hearts, not as some sort of obligation, not merely to walk through the motions. But fasting comes from a heart that's already broken. It's a, it's a heart that is broken over sin, a heart that is broken over self-centeredness, a heart that wants to return to God, that comes to him and says, I hunger for you. And we come to God in that humble place of brokenness. By fasting, we are committing to saying no to ourselves, no to what we want, no to the physical realm, and we're saying yes to God. We trust you, God. We rely on you to provide for us. We, we know, God, that what we need comes from you, and it's far more important for our souls to get what comes from God than to get what comes from ourselves. What he provides is life-giving. What he gives us fills us and satisfies us. But as we think about fasting, we have to approach fasting with the right motives. Why do we fast? As with most things, fasting can have these different extremes. On the one extreme, we have people who simply dismiss fasting as something that is too legalistic and something that has no value. We say, why fast? We're under grace, right? We don't have to go through those legalistic hoops. And so there's that one extreme that looks at fasting as simply punishment, and we want to be a happy people. We do not want to be a punished people. And so fasting has no value. Or we swing to the other extreme where fasting is this huge ordeal where we want to draw attention to ourselves and look at how spiritual I am because I fasted for you know, like 500 days or whatever. And we, we, we want to one-up the other person and say, look at how spiritual I am. I fast every week, every month, every, you know, for, for this long. And, or we, we want to draw attention to ourselves for the fasting that we do, look at how spiritual we are. And so Jesus addresses both of these extremes, right, in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, he, he comes and tells us, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not, appear, not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret 
will reward you. And so it looks like Jesus is really taking the offensive here on, on saying, if you're doing this for the wrong reasons, you need to get your act together. You need to take a bath, and you need to look normal, comb your hair, please, and stop looking so miserable. Don't draw attention to yourself in your fast. That's not what it's about. But Jesus says more here. He talks to both extremes here because he says, when you fast. Twice here he says, when you fast. He doesn't say, if you're fa fasting and you do it wrong, then all this stuff. He says, when you fast. It's the assumption that his disciples will fast. He's making this assumption that, that, that that's what they're going to do. This is going to be a part of their rhythm. This is going to be a part of their disciplines. He expected them to have this a part of their spiritual lives. And Jesus leads by example in this. He himself fasts. We talked last week about the temptation of Jesus that was all occurring within a 40-day fast. And so Jesus participates in this, and he calls us into it. He invites us into it. When he fasted, he suffered the same kind of hunger pains. He, he suffered the same kind of struggles, the discomfort, the dehydration, the hunger. He he experiences all of those things that he calls us into when we fast. And he also experiences, is, experiences the same reward. He's allowing the physical to get out of the way, and it calls him into prayer. It calls him into deeper relationship with God. And so fasting is a way for any Christian, who can, any Christian to experience God deeper by connecting our mind, our heart, and our body. It connects all of those things into an exercise in submitting to God. We submit to him and seek his presence through this act. And Jesus expected his followers to do this. He said, when you fast. And we see that throughout Acts as well, where the church continues on in what he's called them to do in fasting. And we see people throughout church history, the entire spectrum of traditions and denominations have, have found joy and growth in this discipline of fasting. And so the other extreme, we have the extreme of those who don't want to fast because it's too legalistic, but we see Jesus is calling us to fast when you fast. And, and then the other extreme, I don't think we see as much in our circles, but this extreme of drawing excessive attention to ourselves and the spiritual activities that we're involved in. And that is missing the point. Because fasting in and of itself is saying no to self and focus on God. And when we draw attention to that fast, we're drawing attention to self. And now it's about me again. It's about what I'm able to do. It's about the exercises that I go through. And so making a public drawing of attention to yourself is choosing the praise of people over the praise of God. We do things in secret because it's about seeking God. It's about relationship with Him. It's not about me showing off to you. It's not about me getting a good reputation among people. It's about saying no to self and yes to God. And Jesus says, clean yourself up. Act like everything's normal. Don't complain about hungry you are, how hungry you are. But do those things in secret. 
And so in just a few sentences, Jesus speaks to both extremes of fasting, those tempted to avoid fasting and those who do fasting out of pride. Now, I want to take a moment here to say, I think there is value in close relationships with one another to talk about our fasting, to hold one another accountable. That even though things are done in secret, we have an obligation to one another to encourage one another and challenge one another and hold one another accountable. And so we need to be talking about fasting a little bit and talking about what, what fasting does in our own spiritual walks so that we can encourage others and challenge one, another's, uh, challenge one another. But Jesus invited us in. He, he challenges us. He, he wants us to, to join in this intimate space with God through prayer and fasting, to come to him and say yes to him. But another component of fasting, because it's not about self, it's about saying no to self, is that fasting is accompanied by care and concern for others. And this is a component of fasting that I really had not given much thought until, until really going through and prepping for this. That if, if fasting is, a not, is not about myself, if fasting is about God, then it's got to be about what God is about. And God calls us to, to love God and to love others. Fasting doesn't just turn us inward because then that becomes selfish once again. But in turning inward and, and spending time with God, it also turns us outward to view the world the way God views the world because we're putting on the spiritual lenses of God. We're now seeing the realm of God there instead of the physical where, where I want to eat. We're focusing on the spiritual and we're called to, to get out of ourselves and be outwardly focused. When we fast, we should not only turn inward, but we, we should also turn outward to the world where, where the heart of God is. In many ways, fasting is a luxury because for me to be able to say no to food, that means I have food to say no to. And there are many in the world who do not have that option. They go hungry not because of a, a spiritual activity. They go hungry because they do not have and so when I engage in a fast and I spend this time with God in, in reflecting on who he is and what his heart is for me and what his heart is for this world, I stand in solidarity with those who have not. That as I go through those hunger pains, it, it, it is reminding me of, of the world that God sees. We prayed in a couple weeks ago the Lord's Prayer our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us. Because the world that you want it to be, the kingdom that God, that, that God desires is not what it is supposed to be. The world is broken. And he calls us as his followers into that broken world to bring his grace and love. And he says, give us our bread. And so the fasting provides us an opportunity to remember the bread that we have, that we willfully give up, and the bread that others don't have. 
And it calls us into a place where we, care, we have a care and concern for others. In Isaiah 58, he says this, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? This is the kind of fasting that God has chosen for his people. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And so there is this component of fasting that is not just an inward thing of me in, in my quiet, private place spending time with God. But it's also in, coming, in, in establishing deep within me a heart that God has. A heart that has care and concern for the brokenness of the world around us. And so when I say no to food, I'm saying yes to the kingdom of God. I'm saying yes to the kingdom that he longs for. The kingdom that, where he rules, where he reigns. And we work to provide the care and concern that he has for the world around us. Scott McKnight writes, Isaiah wanted his audience to understand that fasting transcends the spirituality of an individual. Isaiah's contemporaries were noted by a pious, intense spirituality. They were spiritual people. But their personal, self-centered piety was not shaped by God's design of a just community. I can be very spiritual. I can be very, a very church-going, God-focused, spiritual person where, where I read my Bible, I fast, I'm, I'm a pious person. I go through all the, the religious hoops. But do I have the heart of God? Do I look at the world the way God looks at it? Am I being shaped by God's design for the world? Or am I being shaped by my own design and my own will? And so, as Christians, there is no room for selfishness. There is no room for yes to self. As Christians, we're called into a place that is no to self. And even as we respond to our own sin, as we respond to our own brokenness, our own hurts, our own sorrow, God wants us to turn toward the brokenness of the world. We all find our ourselves in places of hurt. And those are times where we can very easily come and turn inward and talk about how painful my life is right now how hurt I am, how disappointed I am, how hard things are for me. Or I can turn those things outward to the world that God, God calls us into. And so just a quick note on just practically, many of us don't have any experience with fasting. It's a foreign thing. It's something we don't talk about because it's done in secret, right? And what is done in secret doesn't happen, I think. <laughs> I think oftentimes uh, we, we don't talk about it so we don't have to do it, Right? Because we don't, we just keep it a secret and then nobody knows if we're doing it. So I, I, so I think we have very little experience, and I'm speaking from personal experience here. I think we have very little experience fasting. I have very little experience fasting. And so practically, how do we step forward and, and do this? Like, what does fasting actually look like? Well, we talked about it looks like not eating, okay? It, it is food-related, and so Richard Foster kind of divides it up into three things. He says there is a normal fast, 
A normal fast is abstaining from all food, solid or liquid, but, but, but not water. So no food, but you drink water. That would be a normal fast, as defined by Richard Foster. He also calls a partial fast, which involves a restriction of the diet in some sort of way. So I'm giving up, uh, I'm giving up caffeine for Lent, that kind of thing. That is a, a partial fast. Because it's, it's abstaining from a certain type of food, but it's not a, a full restriction on your diets. And then there's an absolute fast, which I would not recommend starting with. An absolute fast is abstaining from both food and water. And so that is, that is a, a, a challenging place to be. And so, so if you want to start, I want to challenge all of us um, to join together in a fast, and this is where the whole secret thing is, is tricky, but we need to hold one another accountable to doing this, okay? So I want to say Wednesday is going to be our fasting day. And as a family, we're going to fast, and we've got the cooks on Wednesday night who are panicked a little bit. Let me continue. And so we're going to do a 24-hour fast. A 24-hour fast is a good starting place because that is from dinner to dinner, which means you will skip breakfast and lunch, and then you'll come have dinner here together, and we'll break the fast together. Okay, so I want to challenge you. If, if you are physically capable, if, you, if you're physically capable, if, if your health allows for it, I want to challenge you to skip breakfast and lunch on Wednesday, and then come together on, on Wednesday night and break the fa fast together here in the gym or wherever you have dinner. But it would be great to have you for dinner here. And now, day one, your first time fasting, you probably will not get a lot out of it. I'm sorry. Because it's a discipline. If I jog once, I don't lose 20 pounds, right? If I, if I jog once, I'm slow and I'm in pain the next day. But if I jog multiple times a week or multiple times a month, then I start to develop an endurance. I start to develop a certain lifestyle. I just, I, I develop a certain pattern. So fasting is a discipline that requires regular exercise of it to be able to get to a point where you start to see how God is shaping you in that time. But we're going to take baby steps together, and I want you to, I want you to join us in a fast on Wednesday. Okay? Um, you can, so that's a 24-hour fast where you skip two meals. A 36-hour fast would be skipping three meals. And so get those down for a while before you start going any further than that. As we think about fasting, we, we fast to fight against our physical and rational impulses. We fight against the things that are in us that, that want to control, the things that want to shape, the things that want to, to dictate how our lives should be. And so we're tempted to think, uh, does a fast do any good? Will anything come of this? How does skipping food help me experience God? Don't see the connection there. And I'm often tempted to approach fasting as just checking something off of a to-do list. Like, okay, I did the fasting thing. All right? Or worse, I use fasting as an excuse to uh, skip a meal to work longer <laughs> so I can work through lunch, right? And it's fasting, so now it's a spiritual thing. No, that doesn't work. That's not what it is. These are temptations that still focus us on the physical realm. They focus on the physical side of it instead of on the spiritual side of it. When we fast, we're, we're stepping into God's realm where things are not as they appear. 
It's the unseen world. And so fasting is, is something that brings us into to, to seeing the world the way God sees it, having a heart and a compassion for the poor and for, for participating in God's compassion for, the, for his ministry to the poor. Fasting is a response of, of our grief to our own sin. It's as us repenting for, for the ways that we've fallen short. Fasting is, is something that opens a space for us where God's present, presence can be known better, where we experience a unique kind of intimacy with him. But ultimately, fasting allows us to, to step into God's kingdom, into God's story, to experience in our bodies a different way of life, a different way of being. It invites us to pray. It invites us to, to experience him in a new way. It invites us to consider others. It invites us to meet God. And we see all of that as we step away from ourselves, say no to self, no to a simple thing like food, and yes to what God has to feed us. Let's be standing together. So as, as we wrap up this time, I want us to, to spend time in prayer I've wanted, I've wanted specific applications in each of our sermons, in each of our times together, um, but we can't, I mean, we've been fasting for the last 30 minutes, so I, that is our practical application, I guess, I don't know. It's a little difficult to do, but I want to say a practical application is Wednesday. Remember Wednesday. And as you, as you engage in that time of fasting, it is a time for us to in, engage in this prayer focus that we've been having through these 40 days. That through that time of saying no to food, you're saying yes to what God wants with your big issue. As you say no to food, you're saying yes to what God wants in the lives of those friends that you've been praying for. As you say no to food, you're saying yes to what God longs for in this city and in this community. We're saying yes to the kingdom of God through that time together. And so we're going to spend some time praying now. We'll have the shepherds down front. Uh, you can pray with one another in groups and small groups. Uh, if you know of somebody who's in need, go over to them and pray for them. It's okay to move around during this time. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this morning and the opportunities that you give us. God, thank you for feeding us this morning with your word. Thank you for feeding us with, with your heart and your compassion and, and your care. God, we pray that you will continue to pour into us so that we can pour out to others. God, help us to empty ourselves of the things that are not of you and help us to, fill, be, help us to be filled with, with your bread of life. God, we give this prayer time to you now. We lift up our big issues. We lift up our friends. We lift up our city as we, we long for your will to be done here as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.